we're focusing in on who the student is. What are their passions? What are their strengths? What are their interests? What are their values? What are the things that they love doing? And the career is a sort of byproduct of that, right? And I think the the ultimate way that we're trying to shift mindset as well now with, with our, our parent community is we're looking at lifestyle. What is ultimately the lifestyle that you want to be happiest? What is the, the ultimate dream that you have to create an environment where you feel like you will be able to just not only enjoy what you're doing, but love what you're doing and feel like it's your thing, right? So um, the, the, the shift is, you know, first of all, how do we get out of this mindset that the purpose of school is to get to college? Second is how do we get towards, we got to shift into, it's actually, we're getting into a career. And the third piece is you can't do any of that work without first building the relationship with the student and knowing who they are deeply and really being able to create a context that revolves around each of them and knowing them very, very well, right? So that that for us has been a major amount of change in mindset, right? Around what is our role? What is the role of a teacher? What is the role of a counselor, an administrator, any of these other titles, right? That we sort of jump behind and ultimately, what are we here for? Hi, I'm Katie Martin, and this is the Learner-Centered Collaborative Podcast. I'm an author, mom, educator, and lifelong learner on a mission to create authentic, inclusive, and equitable learning experiences that puts learners at the center. At the Learner-Centered Collaborative, we are guided by the persistent truth that a learner-centered approach is the foundation for a successful, thriving learning community. We are passionate about transforming visions for learning into actionable practices that positively impact learners and learning. During our time together, we'll explore challenges in education today, set ambitious goals for what is possible, and make space to celebrate the bright spots along the way. I'll share vetted practices and strategies that I hope will inform, inspire, and ignite your learner-centered journey. Together, we can empower all learners to actively engage in the world as their best selves. Let's get started. All right, welcome everyone to the Learner Center Collaborative Podcast. I am your host, Katie Martin, and today I'm excited to have Norel Winter as our guest. He is the Chief Executive Officer of the Dual Language K-12 School System known as Bostonia Global, a school within the Cajon Valley Union School District. Norell is a founding principal for grades 9-12 high school that is an extension from the existing K-8 dual language program. I'm so excited to talk to Norell today, learn more about the school and his philosophy. Welcome, Norell. Hello, excited to be here. Great. Well, let's start off with a little bit more about who you are. What are some of the key experiences that have really shaped the person and the leader that you are today? Great question. Well, um, I think like the the majority of the landscape in the U.S., um, I grew up thinking that I would be a rock star or a rocket scientist or an architect or something crazy. And the reality is life takes many different steps and many different actions. Um, I went into um, education mainly as, as a default. I was a um, musician. I went to school on a violin performance scholarship, and that was like my main thing. I played in bands, went all over the world. And then realized that that was not the career for me. Um, and I'd taken one class in college that was around music and the brain and just uh, the cognitive ideas of what is the transformation that music can do within a, a little one and within kids and, and changing the world. And so I jumped into education um, and have been in it ever since. And for me, the passion is what can we do to change the world around us? How do we support you know kids who are are in many different facets of life with knowing who they want to be. 
um, and ultimately what we can do to really create change in the world around us. And so um, the journey has taken me to Bostonia Global, which was a creation of a, of a basically of an idea around what would it look like to create the most interesting, most personalized, most focused on kids system in the world and what would we need to make that happen and so that was a incredible endeavor that we've been on over the last few years and it's been a lot of fun in terms of shifting mindset and shifting what is doable and shifting what it is that we think is most important and valuable especially when the parameters of education and allowing any kid who wants to be a rock star or a rocket scientist or or working within any sort of facility or or you know um, idea to be able to fulfill that dream um, no matter where they come from and no matter what they are because that's what ultimately our roadmap should be i love that so i'm curious i we're going to dive into so much of that and especially this question around like what would it mean to create the best school um i when i think when you talk about your own like history growing up so you were a musician how was that fostered in school? I'm curious, like how did how did that love and passion um, coincide with your schooling experience? The reality is, I mean, so many of us go through school and school doesn't match what it is that we're passionate about. Um, and so I would say much of my experiences were similar. I mean, we did have music programs within the school environments and going through that. But then you also are stuck in six other periods that had nothing to do with that and weren't focused on or fostering your passions and being able to support you towards that. Um, and so the reality is there, the experiences that I, I went through were much of the reason and the foundation reason as to why I created uh, Bostonian Global, where we really do want to foster those opportunities. Um, I work within a district that has a wonderful intent focused on what's called the world of work and noticing that Connecting self to future self is something that unfortunately in education doesn't happen too often. Um, all of us have at some point gone through a high school experience, many of us in the US and the experience I, I share with, you know, colleagues is in your high school experience. And I'll share this one with you, Katie, how often do you meet with your high school counselor, right? And the reality is across the nation, their average is like zero or one or at best two times, unless you went to our private school, maybe it was a little bit more. And that human is the only person that has any conversation with students around their future self. And so then we ask ourselves, why is the data around high school dropouts rates so high? And then if you look at college dropout rates, which are right now, I think up to 40%, what are we doing? And how can we foster a, an environment where everything that we do revolves around who our students are? Yeah, I mean, that resonates so deeply. I believe I met with my college counselor once and she encouraged me to take my classes again so the same classes that i had taken in eighth grade my middle school counselor said you should take that that math class and that's that spanish class you should take that again because it's going to be really hard then i got into high school repeated those classes mind you i was a b student it was i was not crushing any like grade point averages but i was doing fine and then I went in going into high school or college, they're like, you should repeat these classes again. They're gonna be really hard. So uh, that was the advice I got is don't push yourself too hard. Don't really do anything, it's gonna be hard. Um, and all I knew was my mom was a teacher. My dad was a car salesman. I didn't wanna be either of those. Those were the only models I had of careers. And I thought, I have no idea what I wanna do. So I go to college and I said, I'll pick psychology because that's what all my friends did. <laughs> Right. And the, the issue, though, is, you know, I was working with a student just last week who is um, a freshman in college and represents one of the 55 percent of students who changed their major year one. 
and feeling really frustrated with herself and questioning, well, is there something wrong with me? Did I do something wrong? And I said, no, friend, you didn't. You, you are the product of a system that has led you to where you are right now, where the intent of do well in high school is to get to college is wrong, right? And instead, the problem is we're not focused on ultimately where it is you want to go with your life, right? Where is the lifestyle you want to head to? What is it ultimately that you want to dream towards? And how can we help you towards that path? Right. Like our, our dear friend, Ed, will always say, Ed Hidalgo, like, how can a child aspire to a career they don't know that exists? So I know the world of work in Cajon Valley is something that you all are focused on. Um, will you share a little bit about, you, you mentioned connecting yourself to the world of work. What does that mean and how are you guys doing that um, in Cajon Valley? So we have a, a system called World of Work that we start on literally when students enter. Um, and so for us uh, with Bostonian Global, this starts in TK, which is um, basically it's, it's not just a curriculum, but it's a mindset shift around connecting students to self, connecting students to community, connecting students to world, and really being able to go through a process of understanding what is it about you that you love? What is it about your role that you love? And ultimately, what is it that you want to impact and change? And so uh, we use um, a, a process that's coming out of uh, Holland's uh, Ryasek, right? And so this is what the ONET uses, what Department of Labor uses, and it's basically, it's a work-based typology in terms of understanding uh, what are the types of interest uh, areas that you have and what are careers then that connect to that. And so we, we go through a process, um, literally starting in kinder, where we expose students to many different types of careers that are, are far outside of what is typically shown, which is you can be a lawyer or a doctor or a dentist or a teacher when you grow up, right? Uh, and realizing that we are planning for careers that are not even there yet. Um, and for, for skills and durable skills that are not yet even something that we have a conversation yet around it because it's not there, it's not even invented. And so as students matriculate through the system, then they have exposures and they go and they meet a pro and they get to experience what is life like in that job and how are my passions connecting to those jobs, my strengths, interests, and values, and how can I ultimately see myself in that? One of the things that we've realized, um, and there's data currently, which is interesting that the uh, 40 year old, right? As we come down, will have had between 12 and 14 different jobs by the time of hitting 40, right? And so unfortunately, this mindset of entering a career and staying there forever um, is shifting, right? And so we have to now go with that. And so part of that then is the more exposures that students have, the more opportunities, the more ways that we can ensure that they are understanding who they are, what their passions are, what that connects with the world around them, the better. And so as students matriculate then into high school, in high school, students leave uh, to learn, right? It's called uh, learning through interest. And so they head out on mentorships um, basically twice a week out in the community. And, and the shift of the school mindset is our role is to serve as the networker and facilitator of that networker rather than as the, um, unfortunately, the preventer and the limitation, right? In terms of future self and what it is that you want to do. So that's that's a big shift. I, I mean, it's so important. You hear so often, even inadvertently, that counselors will be the ones telling kids, oh, you can't do that. That path isn't for you or you don't have the credits when, of course, that's not what they're trying to do. But because of the ways that our school systems are set up, that that happens to a lot of kids. They get prevented to or locked into certain pathways. I know that one of the criticisms sometimes when people hear World of Work and they're like, you're doing this with kindergartners, their mindset thinks that you're locking kindergartners into a certain career path or you're telling them they have to go down a certain road. What would you say to that? What I know to be a false kind of narrative, but how would you how would you explain um, the process differently? 
the, the shift in mindset is we're not focusing on the career path, we're focusing on the student. And so a, a good way to present this is many districts have what is called a portrait of a graduate, right? And so it's like a snapshot of these are the, the skills that a student should have to be successful in the world around them. The way that we approach it is we call it the journey of a graduate. And so the idea to, to sort of bend that mindset is we're focusing in on who the student is, what are their passions, what are their strengths, what are their interests, what are their values, what are the things that they love doing? And the career is a sort of byproduct of that, right? And I think the the ultimate way that we're trying to shift mindset as well now with, with our, our parent community is we're looking at lifestyle. What is ultimately the lifestyle that you want to be happiest? What is the, the ultimate dream that you have to create an environment where you feel like you will be able to just not only enjoy what you're doing, but love what you're doing and feel like it's your thing, right? So um, the, the, the shift is, you know, First of all, how do we get out of this mindset that the purpose of school is to get to college? Second is, how do we get towards, we got to shift into, it's actually, we're getting into a career. And the third piece is you can't do any of that work without first building the relationship with the student and knowing who they are deeply and really being able to create a context that revolves around each of them and knowing them very, very well, right? So that that for us has been a major amount of change in mindset, right? Around what is our role? What is the role of a teacher? What is the role of a counselor, an administrator, any of these other titles, right, that we sort of jump behind? And ultimately, what are we here for? Yeah, I just, that it's so powerful because we think of, you know, I always highlight the Gallup poll or any data that shows student engagement declines the longer they're in school. But what is even more important, I think, is that it continues to decline when people go into the workforce. Right. It doesn't just bounce back up when you get your first job and all of a sudden everyone's engaged and we see a lot more disengagement in careers because we haven't started at the beginning with who are you, what do you care about and what type of career do you want to work in that really allows you to live into your full potential. And, you know, he continued to see engagement in school go up, but also in life, if people were really um, set up on a path to know who they were and then follow in careers and jobs that that really nurtured that. Exactly. Um, there is a, an interesting blog, which you may have read, uh, it's 80,000 hours, uh, it's Benjamin Todd. And the idea is just around the majority of your life is spent in your career, right? And so ultimately, how can we determine and create the best use of your life, right? And a lot of that is the shift of mindset around what is ultimately the lifestyle that you're wanting to have what is the environment that you want to have and how can we start limiting these scotomas that unfortunately are around us all the time, right? Which are typically given to students through the education system, right? And, and that's the unfortunate piece. There's um, research um, through, you know, for example, if you do project-based work and going through that, where the same idea of engagement goes into questioning, right? And why do students really struggle with questioning is because we basically tell students there's a right or wrong answer, right? And we we tell them that this is the unfortunate reality and you'll either do well or not. And so as adults, we really struggle with thinking outside the box because that is what we've been taught to do. And so a lot of this goes back to how can we develop out an understanding of self and how can we really create an environment where that is the purpose of school is really understanding what is it that I love? What are my interests? What are my strengths? What are my values? And then how do I now connect that to careers that are similar to that? And then how can I now create a pathway where every single student is their own pathway, is their own individual sort of leaping point to wherever they want to go? Yeah, I love that. We're going to dive into that personalization in just a minute. But I one other point I wanted to touch on. You talked about some districts have a portrait of a graduate. You're talking about the journey of, of an individual. 
we often refer to it as a portrait of a learner. And I like the idea of a learner versus like this end goal of a graduate, but a learner that that really transcends being a student. And it allows us to look at our teachers, administrators, students, everybody in the system, if we're thinking of ourselves as a learner. And I mentioned I was in Kentucky last week and one of um, one of the women I was talking to as a teacher, she said, you know, we've been doing this work to create our um, portrait of a learner. And I realized it's totally mirroring her marrying her husband's journey. So mid-career, he's 40, decided to switch careers. He went in to be interviewed. They asked him, how do you solve problems? How do you work with others? How do you deal with challenges? How do you communicate your ideas? And she was like, this is exactly what we're working on in school. And she started to see the value and relevance of actually teaching these skills, not necessarily just the content um, or the grade level, but that these skills are so important and the content helps you get those things. Just like you're saying the jobs, you can apply them in different ways. But I think more and more people are starting to understand the, the relevance of those skills. And they're not just a byproduct of some kids have them and some don't, but they're so critical to our kids being successful. Mm -hmm. there, there is a lot of focus right now around transferable skills, right? And, and durable skills. skills. The, the problem with that is uh, transferable to what? And yeah. durable until when? And I think this this is part of it. You know, if you think about so much of our focus with um, with profiles, right? Of, of a learner or graduate or whatever it may be, the, the profile ends in 12th grade. And I think that's that's part of what we're trying to shift here is what would it look like to have a learner employment record that continues with the student towards adulthood, right? And continues with them after high school. What is the data that we're looking at that actually looks into long-term mm -hmm. health and long-term needs and ultimately health-wise versus life-wise? What, what is it that we're trying to create in terms of the outcome? And what are those skills that allow a student to be successful, not just in the system, but outside of it, um, I had a, a really wonderful talk with a colleague around these transferable skills and talking about who, who tends to do really, really well in education are people who end up in education, right? And so it's sort of this, this idea of um, what are we doing for everyone else? What are other skills that we're trying to target? What is it that we're doing to really create an environment where every student can succeed? Right, and, and that was exactly the conversation is this teacher had said, I have all these degrees, I love my job, but she was starting to see that the that beyond the K-12 system, that all of these skills are super relevant in, in different jobs. But I think that's a piece that is important to connect, not just a profile, not just whatever it is, but what are the jobs, what are the careers and aspirations that you're going to be applying them to, to give them some context and make them matter to individuals? Because you, you can show up, problem solving shows up in many different ways, right? It can show up in my role and your role and throughout. It's not just something that should end um, in 12th grade when you leave. I definitely agree with that. Uh, we're working with a lot of our, our seniors this year, right? Because uh, we have our first graduating class and they're applying to colleges and to jobs and whatever it may be. Um, and the interesting thing is as you go through these applications, it's it becomes more and more obvious the need to shift this language with kids around what is it ultimately that you're working towards and what is it that you're doing all of this for, right? And so uh, we've had roundtables with industry partners and with um, colleagues from all types of organizations from private sector to uh, blue collar to white collar to you name it. Mm -hmm. um, and they all say very similar things, which is there are many different pathways towards success outside of just the traditional four-year college. 
And many of our industry partners are saying, listen, we would prefer a student who is super focused on what it is that they want to do and ultimately feels like they, they know what they want to do. We'll pay for college if it's needed and we'll support them towards success. And so it's sort of also, how do you redefine the labor market? What are you looking at in terms of, of that need? How does the school then serve basically as like a metaphorical headhunter, right, for organizations and supporting students and supporting where they want to go? So before we go too much into Bostonia, let's back up a little bit and really, if you could share, you're the CEO of a school in a district, that in and of itself is unique and different, right? You don't hear of a CEO running a, a, a school system within a district. So what is Bostonia Global? Um, and we talked a little bit about why you created it, but kind of what are, what are the aspirations of the school? Sure. Uh, so Bostonia Global is a TK through 14 system is how we describe it. Uh, we are an in-district dependent charter, uh, which is a fancy way of basically saying that we are unionized and we are also under a board. Um, and the reason we created that way was because we wanted to make sure that we had parameters in place under the most stringent possible parameters in order to create the craziest change. Uh, and the intent with that is if you can create crazy change within those parameters, you can do it anywhere. And, and so that's ultimately it's an experiment around what is possible. What is it that we're trying to do in order to really create change and, and ultimately shift the lives of students that have been um, unfortunately filled with PTSD because of the education system that they're in. Right. And so um, I would say the ultimate purpose, the ultimate dream of our students um, is to ensure that every single student is on their own pathway, that they're all happy, that they all are in positive relationships and on a pathway towards gainful employment. Um, and that's ultimately the intent of our, our school, the intent of our district, and the intent of everything that we do here is to develop that environment where that's possible to happen. Awesome. And you talked about personalizing for each student. So what does that mean? Because we have a lot of different ways of defining that word and talking about what it means in schools. What does it mean for you at Bostonia to really personalize for each student? So we went through a lot of design work around how to make this happen. Um, uh, it originally started with what was called the Committee of 100. This was based off the Committee of 10, right, which, as you know, was um, a group of, of men who decided that this is what education is going to look like. Right. And so the unfortunate reality is if you look at an 1880 schoolhouse and you look at a classroom in 2024, there's not a lot of differences in what they look like. Um, it's very similar in terms of strategy. And it was built, as uh, many have described, as sort of a routine factory to build a construction line straight into uh, building cars, whatever it may be, right? And so for us, our shift in mindset after a lot of work with our, our students and with our families and with our community was, what are the ultimate design elements that will allow this to happen? So one was the idea of, of an advisory-based system, right? And so every single human within our, our organization is called an advisor. And the intent there is the role, first and foremost, is to build relationships. Um, and their intent is they are the mentor, they are the support, they are the person that is with that student throughout their career and, and really being able to support them towards where they want to go. And so a student in the high school will have the same advisor all four years, right, and really be able to build strong relationships with where they want to go. The second intent is this idea of truly having global impact, right, and having a voice that matters. And so as a district, 
we do a lot of work around voice, right? Around who you are and what it is that you love doing. And so that can look like a TEDx presentation, that can look like presentation literacy in the form of a community response, or it can be any sort of idea that will allow students to feel that their voice matters. Um, our district represents communities from all over the world. Uh, we have a very large percentage of students that are refugees, that are homeless, that are living very difficult lives, and students that have wonderful lives too. And it's so how can you bring all of those disparities, right, and all those, you know, different types of experiences into the world and allow students to feel that their voice matters in that? Mm -hmm. And then third context, which I will say is, is likely the most difficult is to what you're alluding there, is the idea of an individualized pathway for every student. And so this was complicated because in order to do that, we had to do some major shifts in mindset. The first was the role of of what we do, right? And so we shifted from a truly a standards-based, common core-based system into a pure competency-based model. And so that means that we, we had to shift our way of looking at instruction, our shift of looking at what's important. What is grading? What are we looking at in all of these different things that typically are the limiting factor for how students are successful? Uh, we shifted in terms of the idea of practice and projects and all of these different applications in terms of how do you create evidence-based cycles where feedback is truly the critical understanding rather than a moment in time of taking a test and saying, hey, I bombed that because I was tired this morning and I didn't really feel like doing well, right? And so it's, it's shift in all of that. So the idea of a personalized pathway is in a nutshell, every single student is their own pathway. We don't do CTE pathways as is very common across the US because the problem that we have found with that is building out, let's say an agricultural complex uh, impacts a very small percentage of students within your school. And so instead what we do is through this understanding of world of work, through the, the build out of Ryasek and knowing students well, is every single student then gets to build out whatever pathway they want to do. And then our entire model revolves around supporting them in getting there. Um, and so that may be jumping into mentorships, that may be doing concurrent classwork in college, that may be doing um, exposure to, to opportunities and experiences and, and going wherever they want to go in order to make sure that they're able to do that. So the idea is the student is the school, the school revolves around the student. So learner-centered. <laughs> right. So I have, I'm sure there's people listening like, that's that's amazing. It sounds great. So I want to dive into a little bit of the structures that I know you've put in place to make that happen. So a typical high school, my my son's in middle school, my daughter's in high school, you know, you have your six, eight period schedule. I can imagine people thinking in that construct, how in the world are you creating a personalized pathway for every student? So what are some of the structures that you shifted that differentiate Bostonia to allow for that to happen? One of the primary things we had to do to start off with was do a complete redesign of how you approach a master schedule where more time can be allocated towards relationships. Um, and so on average, our advisors have just about eight hours a week spent focused on advisory and focused on building relationships with students. Um, we had to do a lot of work around instructional minutes and thinking through what is ultimately the, the need versus what are things that we can start doing to provide more personalized uh, supports as we go through things. We had to start shifting, and this was because we're a competency-based model, um, into how do we develop out really interesting, unique, and engaging uh, learning environments where students can develop out projects that are focused on exactly what it is that they want to do. And I think the best way to do this is, and it's really difficult, especially in high school world where we have single subject credentials, right? Mm -hmm. uh, is that everything is cross-curricular. 
And so a lot of the mindset shift work that we had to work through was, you know, the idea that in math, you could show a lot of competency in writing and a lot of competency in literacy and a lot of competency in, in science and whatever it may be. And the understanding that learning can happen any place. And the other part is learning can also happen outside of school and, and any, right. So, which is like, outside right? Of school. So, totally right. So this is then is what does that mean in terms of grading and how do you do best practices in terms of supporting students and how do you move towards ultimately a, a transcript that reflects where our students are in their growth and where they are in their movement towards their career. And so we we shifted our transcript, we shifted what it is that we're looking towards, and we shifted ultimately what it is that we have as our value points in terms of our ultimate outcomes that we're trying to create. So I've been fortunate enough to visit and talk with your amazing students, talk with the, the teachers um, and hear about some of these mentoring experiences. And you know, like you said, the students, it's not, they're not, the bell is not guiding their day, right? They're not going from first period to second period and just checking the boxes. From what I understand and what I've seen, students are designing their projects, right? They have these competencies that they are clear that they need to be able to show evidence of and with their advisors and with their their teachers, they're designing projects to be able to demonstrate those. Is that accurate? That's right. And so a lot of it is, you know, the, the courses themselves are still having to be tied back to A through G requirements for California, right? And so working through that, but the intent is as a competency-based model, learning can happen anywhere, right? And so it's a lot of it is how do you support students in arguing what they're working towards? How do you allow them to be the ones to share? This is where I am. This is where I need to go. And ultimately, this is what I'm, I'm needing support in. And how do you enable teachers, or we call them advisors, how do you enable advisors to feel um, empowered to be able to be okay with that, right? <laughs> I think there's a lot of fear surrounding education, unfortunately, right? And so how do you create um, structures and, and time and place for, for humans that are working nonstop and around the clock to really be able to dive in to crazy fun learning opportunities where they also feel excited about what they're doing? One of the key structures to this is hiring, right? When you hire people coming into this, you have to be thoughtful about what are the questions you're asking. We, we always focus in on hobbies, right? And focus in on passions that have nothing to do with teaching because that's part of it is we want them to bring those in and we want them to have fun. And we want them to really feel like school is a place where if they're spending 80,000 hours of their life with us, how do we make it the best 80,000 hours that it can be, right? And so that's, that's hard. And you have to continuously be shifting and, and innovating and creating what is the next step for our students. So if I'm thinking as a teacher, I was an English teacher. Um, so my time is shifted from designing content, right? It's, it's shifted from here's my lesson for the day or even the project I'm going to teach for all my kids. And my time is, like you said, building relationships, getting to know my students, my advisees, helping them maybe flush out their projects and make sure they're connected to competencies. And then the part about grading that we haven't really touched on yet, they're really looking for evidence of these competencies through the projects. And that's, I'm sure, an iterative process with the students as well. And that seems like what they're spending a good bit of time on instead of just grading tests. That, that's the intent, right? And it's it's... The, the reality is the better that you get at this sort of system and process, the actual less work you have because you're ultimately just becoming a coach 
and, and a guide, an advisor of students in their learning process and supporting them towards what is it that ultimately they want to do and how can you help them get there. Um, what we do so often in education is we place students into tracks. Um, we say this is the smart kids track. Here's some AP classes. Here's the the not so smart kids. Here's the track for students that want to go into career. And here's tracks for, right? And it, we just siphon students out. And instead of exposing them to everything and being thoughtful about what is it ultimately that we can do to get them to wherever they want to go, um, that's helpful, right? And it's it's right. a big shift and, and it's hard work. Yeah, well, we were talking about this before we started recording, this idea of smart, right? And you start when you start to see students in their element, you know, I've had so many educators say to me, oh, well, they're not typically the ones who are, I would think of as smart, or they're not the successful ones in school, but they're doing well on this project or when they show up in these areas. And I just think that the, the damage we do to kids and their future selves by labeling smart, not smart, um, this track or that track, it's not only limiting them in school, but also limiting their own view of what they're capable of. And it's just, I really, something I hope we can continue to um, reflect on as educators when we start, when we use the word smart and start labeling kids, what that really means and what the impact is. Exactly. And unfortunately, you know, if you start diving into this more and we ask, why are we having these pressures and where is this coming from? Mm -hmm. It tends to come from four-year institutions, right? It tends to come from what's happening next after high school. And so part of this that we need to start doing is encouraging uh, universities, encouraging colleges to support students in being able to demonstrate skills in many different ways. What are verifiable skills that are employable skills, skills that industry are actually asking for? that we can really start to hone in on and support in terms of success. Um, this again goes into smart for who <laughs> or smart based on what. Um, we all, I guarantee you, have a friend or a colleague that never went to college and is making a whole lot more money than we are and are technically way more successful right on paper than we are. And the question starts to go back to, did they fail? Were they not smart, right? Was that something that they, they didn't do well in? when the reality is their success shows the opposite, right? And so I think this goes back to, again, the structure and the compliance of school. We create systems that by default weed kids out and by default place students in the wrong places. I had a conversation with a chancellor of a, of a, a local university um, who basically said, you know, that their goal was to become more like an Ivy League and their intent was to weed more and more kids out because that would allow their prestige to go up. And it's unfortunate, but that's the reality across the nation. And so we, we start thinking through what is the value of a degree? What right. is the value of a major? What is it that we're trying to do? And so many students are dropping out in those four institutions when so many students don't know who they want to be and what is it working towards. And yet all high schools tend to still have the same structures and the same traditional systems and the same issues, right? When can we start making this change happen? What can we start doing on a, on a broader scope to yeah. work find that out? Well, I think the work that you're doing at Bostonia and some schools are really starting to serve as proof points um, as we start to see what's possible and what's happening. So, I mean, I said I've been there. It's amazing to talk to your students, but for those people who haven't had the opportunity to be on Bostonia's campus or talk with uh, the learners. Will you give us a sense of like, what's a day in a life or the week? What are they doing if they're not going from class to class and they're not 
you know, doing tests, like what are the, what are they doing throughout the week that um, is helping them to develop these skills? So basically their, their day starts off with advisory. Um, they spend um, about an hour and a half to start each day uh, focused on world of work, focused on interest walls and career-based integrations, doing mentorship calls, community mapping, figuring out and exploring what are opportunities out there. They spend time in that class or in that, that time frame, uh, really also looking at relationships and developing out who they are and developing on that relationship. The key is you can't do much without trust. And you can't do much without understanding that we are all on the same team and building that out. Um, from advisory, uh, Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, they tend to head off into a project time or a project class. Our project classes all, because we're in California, have to tie back to an A3G requirement. Uh, but the focus of that project class could be a focus, you know, that ties back to career. It could be tied back to something they're working through in history, something in math, whatever it may be. But the intent is supporting students to develop out their own projects and develop out whatever it is that they're interested and engaged in. Um, they have what's called a crash lab. And a crash lab is basically a deep dive into competencies or, or let's say durable skills or, or transferable skills that they really want to dive into more and, and opportunities with that. Um, and then they have advisory again at the end of the day. Um, and it's basically the cornerstone of the bookends of what we do is we start the day off with relationships, we end it with relationships. Uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays are built around basically advisory the entire day. And the intent on that is allowing students to be able to pursue mentorships, to be able to pursue college classes, to be able to pursue whatever it is that they want to work towards. Uh, but we also provide um, X factors, which are basically, you know, like a traditional elective, except it changes constantly around what students' interests are and allowing them to really do deep dives in terms of what it looks like. Um, one of the big things going back to, to the hiring process is we ask teachers who are coming in for what are their hobbies, because this is what we want them to do. We want them, if they're into hiking, let's do a hiking expector or into gardening or into woodworking or into music or whatever it may be, that they have the opportunity to really do a deep dive into their passions. Um, we have found if adults are excited about what they're doing, it's pretty mm -hmm. contagious, right? And so the intent then is what is the environment that will allow for the most flexibility for that? So there's a lot of things in there, but one is they're they're exploring their own passions, they're developing relationships, they're doing projects to develop these competencies, um, but they're also getting exposure to other things that they may or may not be passionate about. And I think that's an important part too. It's not just a deep dive into something you want, but it's also expanding your horizons to learn about more things that might not even be on your radar through these opportunities and X clubs. Right. So, I mean, the intent is the more exposure a student has, the more opportunity they have in terms of defining out who they want to be. Um, the The reason for a lot of this is we we did a lot of studying of schools across <laughs> the nation, and we noticed many of them, even the most cutting edge ones, will hold um, 11th grade as a year where they do what's called a college or career class, or they do a career class in terms of technical education, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. um, the unfortunate thing is they wait until 11th grade. They get one semester of it on average, and then that's it. And then we have to decide, well, who do you want to be? And because we've gone through these applications with colleges, they then have to place on the application, what is their major? What is it that they want to do for the rest of their life? And then that's it. And then we get stuck, right? And so right. for us, we, we want to be able to provide students as many types of exposures and opportunities as possible, because ultimately, that's how we figure out who we are. And yeah. that's how we figure out what we love.
Well, part of that then is you, you kept saying mentorships and I know mentorships, you see it differently than internships. Will you share a little bit about your model and how it varies from a more typical internship? Absolutely. So the idea is um, if you think of a, of a circle, right, in the middle of the circle is the student or the scholar or the individual, but surrounding that student is are a lot of different humans that are really important, right? And so for a high schooler, the most important are their friends, right? And we have to understand that that's a big part of it. It's also their family, right? So what are they like within our school and how do we involve them in what we do? And then the other piece is there has to be a person in their community who knows them really well. And so what we try to stay away from is we, we don't like to do just like a shadow day or just like an internship where it's a one and done type of thing. We wanna have a human or a, a partner for life. And somebody who's willing to be a, a mentor in terms of what it looks like. And so we, we really are focused on this idea of mentorships versus just an internship because of the understanding that if you are committing to be a mentor with our students, you're also committing to be with them forever is really the idea. Um, and, you know, the research behind this is it shows, you know, if there's just one adult in a student's life who is there for them, they are infinitely more likely to be successful. Right. And so. Our intent is what then becomes the role of the school mm -hmm. and the school then serves ultimately as a networking platform for our students. And that is our ultimate role within everything that we do is how do we network students into wherever they want to go and how do we create those network opportunities? Um, our parent community is a massive network, right? And our industry that surrounds us is a massive network. And so how do we then serve those opportunities for our students best? I love that building their social capital. I love the talking about building their networks and helping them kind of figure out how they leverage those adults um, and and learn about their not only their jobs, but how they navigate their own career pathways. Right. So the other aspect that I want to touch on that I know people are wondering is the grading. Okay, we've talked about A through G requirements, which is what, um, what is in California. Every state has their own requirements but you're working within a district system. So what does grading look like and how are you getting away from a typical A through F report card? Or what does that look like when you're when you're doing competency-based reporting? This is hard, right? Because you are, are trying to do something that's very outside the box um, and is not yet understood well, right? And so one of the key components for us to get going on this was finding really good, strong partners. And so, we did a lot of work with um, organizations such as Getting Smart, right? And as well as wonderful school systems like OneStone, mm -hmm. which is a brilliant system out of uh, Boise. Um, and looking at ultimately, what does that transcript need to look like? If we're, if we're truly doing a strong competency-based transcript, mm -hmm. what is it that we're trying to create? And so for us, we have what's called a growth transcript. Um, and this is ultimately what we're focusing in. Our grading isn't like a traditional grading system in that we're not looking at A, B, C, D, F. We're looking at instead at growth over time. And our transcript reflects that. And so ultimately, that is what we provide to colleges. That is what we, we move towards. And the idea is it means you have to spend a whole lot of time doing strong assessment, a whole lot of time really understanding where your students are at and really being able to create a narrative that is strong around who your students are and where they are, where they want to go. Um, and so for us then, you know, in terms of a transcript, if you think of a traditional high school transcript, it shows classes taken, credits mm -hmm. achieved, and courses and AP classes, right? If that's what they've done. Ours is a lot more involved than that, right? And so it's basically, it's a snapshot of 
all of these skills that we care about based on our portrait of a graduate or journey of a graduate. Um, it's a snapshot of their credit. It's a snapshot of their narratives around who they are, but it also includes their portfolio of evidence and their recommendation letters from their mentorships and includes their experiences that they've had within their community and whatever college classes they've been taking and moving forward. So the idea is our transcript is less of a snapshot and more of the whole picture of who this kid is to really be able to support with that. And so far, that's been um, a really exciting endeavor to take because it means that the outcome is much more tailored to the personal experience of each child. Right. And I would imagine students are much more invested, too, in in what they put in that transcript and seeing their growth over time um, gets to build to that point of showing how students are smart, not if they are or not based on letter grades. Yeah, I mean, it's and it comes down to what is the purpose of the grade? Mm -hmm. I mean, what does a grade do? And, and the reality is um, transcripts tend to be what is the best way to put this? Um, it's based on the person who's giving it, right? So there's right. a lot of opinion and a lot of, oh. of uh, discrepancy. So if you have a student that went to one high school and took Algebra 1, and they went to another high school and took Algebra 1, the A at one high school is not the same as an A at another high school. And so well, ultimately... Even the teacher next door, you can't verify that the A means the same thing. Exactly. And so then what are we doing? And what are we grading for? And why are we doing it that way? And so that that's, again, the reason that we shifted to a competency-based model is because we're not focused on the grade. We're focused on the learning, on the growth over time, on the ability to really prove the concept within the, the narrative of who you are, um, which is way more challenging and takes way more time to really understand that child well. But ultimately, we have a much more, uh, I would say, relevant mm -hmm. uh, understanding of who our students are and where they want to be. As we talk about each of these components of Bostonia, of the school you're designing based on this aspiration to create, create a place that really honors the individuals um, for who they are and where they're going. I keep hearing the phrase like we have to change how we our mindset, right? It's a lot about how you spend time. We only have so much time in the day. But the shifting from spending the time teaching to thinking about how we learn the, the, you know, moving through the system and standardizing for everybody to really get into a place of individualization and personalization, the relationships as really the bookend of, of the day, building out those networks. Um, my hope is that this model continues to inspire other people to think about how we can do that in the community. Um, and as you said, you're doing this in a district, you're doing this under a union, under a board. So I guess my my last question as we kind of wrap this up before we get into rapid fire is what what would prevent another high school? My kids are in high school, you know, locally. What would prevent another high school from shifting to some of these systems that you guys are are working on at Bostonia? A lot, unfortunately. <laughs> Um, and I think a lot of it boils down to um, it's it's unknown, right? And it's fear and it's it's creating change isn't easy. And mindset shift is one of the most complicated things to do uh, within education. Uh, the education system is a complicated system. There's a lot of emotions that are wrapped out within it, right? And so um, I think that the key is, and, and we had a discussion with the district just a few days ago around this, 
the very first thing that you have to do is to shift mindset around the importance of relationship and the ultimate need of what is your role within the school system? Mm -hmm. um, what does it mean to be a teacher? What does it mean to be an administrator or a counselor or a or janitor or whatever is the role that you're working towards? They are all extremely valuable, but they have zero value if relationships aren't the forefront of what you do. Um, and so I think that for us is, is my biggest recommendation for any school or district that's trying to move forward is really do a deep dive into that and do a deep dive into ultimately now that you feel like you are focused on relationships, what are the outcomes that ultimately you're working towards? And who do you have driving those conversations? Is it the school that's driving the conversation or do you allow industry to do it for you? Because I guarantee you, uh, your industry partners will lead the conversation towards competency-based work because ultimately that is what they are needing. And so it's really a, a value point that we've been looking at. So if I reflect that back to you, you said a lot, right? And I do it, but it, but it is more about the human change. I didn't hear a lot of there's systems and you know that are holding people back from doing this, other than the, our own, right? It's our own mindset, it's our own way of thinking, it's our own expectations of how schools are supposed to be that hold us back, rather than a lot of the um, rules and regulations, so to speak. It's doable. It's just um, hard. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> not to say it's not hard for sure. Right. So it's really, I mean, ultimately, you know, the the biggest step out of all of this that we have found is once we have a shift in mindset around what is the value point of school and ultimately what is the role of school. If school's purpose isn't solely to get students into college, now you can start playing with everything else. Yeah. And so now we start thinking about okay. There are many, many other factors at play here that we can really start to dive into to create dynamic change for students. Um, that doesn't mean that college is bad. That's never the mindset because it isn't. It just has to be useful and it has to be appropriate for what the student's career, their final lifestyle, their final endpoint that they want is. And our job is to help them get there. I love that. Thinking about the purpose of school, getting clear on that then understanding what systems need to be put in place um, based on those desired outcomes. And the other important, important point that you brought up is schools can't do this in isolation. If our goal is to help young people be successful in life, we have to involve industry, which is the next step, and, and make sure that we are aligned on those outcomes and we're all working together toward them. Exactly. All right, rapid fire, a few questions for you. What is one thing we should stop doing in education? This is going to be um, controversial. We should stop uh, placing so much emphasis on teacher credentialing programs, and we should start thinking through those a little bit more wisely. Here's why. If we can have a lot more focus around the end result that we're looking for in teacher credentialing programs, I think we'll find a lot more teachers willing to do what we're trying to do. Um, and I would say that would be a brilliant starting place. I love that. All on board. Uh, what's one thing we should start doing? We should start thinking about what our students actually want. Great. And listen to them a little bit more. Yeah. What should we keep doing? We should try to keep doing what we entered education for was to change the world and blow it up in terms of everything that we can do to make the best place possible. Love that. What are you personally focused on doing or learning right now? 
my whole focus at the moment is how do we create an employment record that supports students from baby to adulthood? And how can we create an environment where everything we do helps kids towards wherever they want to go? Love it. What's one thing that many people don't know about you? Um, I grew up in Puerto Rico, so that's where a lot of my brain is from. And that is um, where I find is home. <laughs> Love it. What is one of your favorite quotes or sayings that you want to share with everybody? Oh, there's a, there's many, uh, a fun one that we tend to use here is, uh, Jacques Cousteau, which is, um, curiosity is in the mind or in the hands of those who explore. Um, we, we want exploration. We want curiosity. We want people to go crazy in terms of their passions. And so that is a big piece that we love here. Love it. What's something that you're grateful for right now? I am grateful, um, to be in a situation where I get to have a wonderful conversation with another colleague. Uh, to think about what we can do differently in the world around us um, and what we can do to create change. Love it. Final question. What is your hope for the future of education? I hope that we turn it on its head and actually make it about kids. I love it. You are such an inspiration. I love that you're leaning in, doing the hard work, willing to share what's working and what's challenging. And I am all for turning on its head. Let's do it. Love it. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you. Hey, all this is Katie, and I'm just here reflecting on my podcast with Narelle. And something that has really been um, on my mind, this is a couple days after doing the podcast, and I've really been thinking a lot about Narelle's comments around what leaders can do or why this is so challenging to shift um, shift practices like he's done at Bostonia Global in more traditional systems or frankly, any system. And his reaction actually kind of surprised me when he said, uh, it's just so hard. Um, and I'm really struck by um, his response because, of course, it's hard. It's, it's hard to push against systems that have existed for so long. But he is actually doing it. He is shifting practices. His teachers are coming together, working um, with students, building relationships, creating opportunities for students to learn in and out of school, building their social networks, um, and continuing to think about new transcripts and reporting and competency-based assessment. And, um, and he's got a model of, you know, a school that is really doing great things for kids and building their individual expertise um, as well as their their confidence and competence um, in various aspects. So even though he's doing it, um, the barriers that he talked about are not necessarily policies. They're not, um, you know, curriculum. They're not around school structures because um, all of those things he's been able to dismantle or redesign but it kept coming back to the mindset. It's so hard. And I think he said this because people are so set in the ways of how school has always been done. 
Um, so that's just something I've been reflecting on and want to keep pushing myself to really just build empathy and understand and continue to, um, really be explicit about these new models and, um, how we can shift systems and how we can do that within existing systems. Um, but our mindset continues to be one of the biggest barriers, uh, to getting to that, um, and, and so it's something we have to constantly check. Um, I've been talking a lot about um, the balance between mindset and strategies. If all we do is focus on mindset and we don't have new skills to actually shift practice, it becomes hard. But if we just change structures and don't revisit our mindsets and don't really think about um, a new paradigm of teaching and learning and leading, um, then we won't really get to those outcomes as well. So just some things on my mind. I loved this podcast with Neral. I loved his way of thinking. He's just got such an interesting background and um, he's just a courageous, thoughtful and caring leader. And um, we need more Um, more of you leaders, more of you um, pushing practices um, and to create spaces where you can come together and talk about it. So thank you for the work you're doing in your community. Thank you for listening to this podcast. And I look forward to your questions, comments, and um, your ideas about how we can move this work forward. Thanks for listening to the Learner-Centered Collaborative Podcast. We want to hear from you, so be sure to share your key takeaways using the hashtag LCCPodcast on social media. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app and head on over to Apple Podcasts to leave a review to help others find the show. To learn more about Learner-Centered Collaborative, head over to LearnerCentered.org. This episode was hosted by Dr. Katie Martin, produced and edited by Paul Haluszczyk, and web support was provided by Andy McCranny. Thanks again for listening, and catch you on the next episode.